Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. Happy Easter. Thanks. Appreciate it. If you're joining us online, happy Easter to you as well. Have you ever thought about this, but have you ever thought about how much humans are capable of? We've, we've been capable of a lot of things, a lot of good things, in fact. Just think about this kind of stuff in history. Uh, we've invented things like the printing press, the light bulb, the, the battery. In a matter of 70 years, think about this, it's so crazy. In a matter of 70 years, we went from taking the first flight on a makeshift airplane to 70 years or so later putting a man on the moon and then bringing him back home. That's crazy. Y'all. Have you ever thought about that? Like, just crazy that is. But man, mankind is capable of a lot. We've eradicated diseases, learned how to treat many others. We've been able to take an organ, like a heart or a lung, and, and someone recently dies, and they, they said, I'm going to give my organs to someone. We can take those organs, put them in someone who's alive, their body, and make it work. We've created the telephone, the radio, the internet, and ice cream. And the church said, (laughs) humans are capable of a lot, but there's also some things that humans are not capable of as well. See, here's the thing. We don't know how to cure hiccups. We just don't. No matter what mom said, we just don't know how to cure it. You can't sneeze with your eyes open. Some of y'all are going to try that later. You can't tickle yourself. You just can't. We don't know why we yawn. Still, the questions that still boggle our minds. We don't know why we yawn. We haven't achieved world peace. And we don't know why the Dallas Cowboys continue to lose in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> we just don't. But the, the thing that plagues us all, and it's a serious one, it's a big one. It's one of the foundation of all of our struggles. Here's the thing we are not capable of. We're not capable of escaping death. We just, we just haven't, and it's not for a lack of trying. In fact, right now, Silicon Valley people, engineers are, are there, and they are trying to figure out a way to download our brains onto computers so that we can live forever. There's something about us and death that we just, it feels wrong. There's something about it that just feels off. And if we're honest, we could just use this word. It just is, death is weird. And that's the the most foundational thing that we cannot escape. It's the most serious one. The problems that plague us is that we cannot escape death. And that's why what we celebrate today on Easter is so significant. It's because the, the status of mankind was changed in the matter of a whirlwind of a weekend. Everything changed over the course of a weekend, we're going to talk about that today. So if you have a Bible, we're going to jump into 2 Timothy chapter 1. So toward the end of your Bible, and if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can look on the screen. But 2 Timothy chapter 1 is what Paul is speaking to the young pastor, Timothy. And I believe he has some words to say to each one of us. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 9, this is what it says He, as in God, has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. 
This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let me go back to verse 10. Just just park there real quick. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. What has been made evident? It's what came before that, that God has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he planned beforehand, before time began in Christ Jesus. So how do we know that God has saved us and called us to a holy calling? How do, how do we know that Jesus has made a way for us to be right with God? Why? Well, he begins in verse 10 with the appearance of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, it's, it's important for us to understand the narrative. See, narratives are just another way, word for story, but many stories are true. And that is what we have uh, with us right now. That's what we're talking about. So Jesus uh, is God becoming flesh to dwell among us. God decided I'm not going to leave human beings to their own devices because they are not going to be able to solve this problem. Only he could. So he decided he's going to put on flesh to dwell among us. He became a human and he entered into our mess. If, if any of us were God, we would not want to come down. Right? Yeah, because we, we're just like, I want to get away. So we would not want to come down. But God decided to come down in his mercy and his grace. And he showed us what God is like because he was God. Jesus healed people. He taught people. He showed them what the kingdom of God is like. And he told them, he called them to follow him with their whole lives. He healed people of diseases. He, he went to the outcasts of society, the people who they seemed to have no one uh, who was caring for them. Uh, everyone who, who would look at them, who was not them, they would look at them and say, you know what, you're too far gone. God is not for you because look at your life right now. And yet those people are the people who flocked to Jesus even though they were nothing like Jesus. And so he gave them hope. He gave them uh, the, the, the hope for a better future. And Jesus, uh, as he's doing this, he gets to the point on a Thursday and he, he gathers his disciples for what we call the Last Supper. So he's having a meal with his disciples and he starts washing their feet, tells them to go and do likewise. And in the middle of the meal, he tells uh, his, his one of his closest followers, Judas, he says, hey, Judas, go and do what you're going to do. Because he had already known that Judas had betrayed him the, the day before that. And so Judas leaves the dinner party, goes and gets a posse. And as this is happening, Jesus is having a conversation with the, the disciples. They go to a garden and they start praying. And, and Jesus is praying, but his friends, he's like, hey, can you guys pray with me? And they start falling asleep. Some good friends he's got, right? And so he's, they're falling asleep. Jesus is praying. And then Judas shows up with the posse. They arrest Jesus. And now the Jewish leaders are, are trying to get the Romans to, to deal with Jesus because they are under Roman occupation. They cannot do it themselves. The, the justice system has to go from the Jews to the Romans. And so they want to get rid of Jesus because of the things that he's been saying. And, and, and so they start making false accusations after false accusations. He's arrested on a Thursday night, gets into Friday morning, continues on and on and on. And just like Taylor talked about, uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor, in that area, he's like, hey, let me, I don't see him being guilty, but y'all seem to want him dead. Uh, I'll give you a choice, Barabbas or Jesus, who do you want? And they take Barabbas and Jesus gets flogged, which basically means they had this leather whip that had uh, meta, uh, metal uh, spots in it, and they, they beat him, they flogged him. And so he's getting beat and gashed on his back, and then they force him to carry the, the top part of a cross all the way up a hill called Golgotha. 
And it is there that they take these very large metal stakes and they put his arm against the wood and they pierce him right here in between the two bones on the arm, right above the wrist, and it goes right through it. Uh, extreme pain. Do that one. Do the same thing over here. And then they put his feet together and drive a single stake all the way through both feet. And then he proceeds to be crucified, which historians uh, and physicians who have looked at what it was like to be crucified have all agreed that this was the most gruesome way that we as human beings have uh, figured out a way to kill someone. And so he hangs there. So you can imagine his disciples looking at this, this person they devoted their life to following, and he's hanging on the cross. It's not how they thought it was going to go. Jesus breathes his last right after he says, it is finished. And then darkness comes over the earth, the veil in the temple is torn, and they take him off of the cross, and they, they put him in a, a borrowed tomb uh, by Joseph of Arimathea. He donates it to him, and he is then buried on a Friday night, and Sabbath is coming for the Jews, so they don't have time to really do anything with the body. So Jesus is stuck in a tomb, a dead body right there, and then the disciples have a long Sabbath day where they can't just go and get busy and try and numb themselves of the pain that they just experienced watching their their follower, their, their, their leader, their rabbi, their Messiah be killed. And so Saturday is a dark, silent day. And then finally, very early in the morning on Sunday, the ladies who followed Jesus went down to the tomb because they were going to anoint his body with perfume because uh, dead bodies, after a little while, they don't smell very good. And this was a, a regular Jewish thing to do, but they didn't have time because of the Sabbath. And so they, they go down to the tomb and, and they don't find what they thought they would find. See, the, the, the day before on Saturday, uh, the, the religious leaders said, hey, can you put some Roman guards around the tomb? Because they remembered Jesus talking about, hey, I'm going to suffer and die and then rise again on the third day. So they remembered that. So they put some Roman guards down by the tomb just to make sure no, no, the disciples came with a bright idea. Let me go and steal Jesus's body and we'll, we'll make up a big story that how he rose from the dead. And we all expected it the whole time. No, that's not what they found. They found the, the, the guards just trembling and the tomb was open and they, they didn't find Jesus' body uh, laying there. They found his sheets, his bedding uh, folded up like, hey, I don't need this anymore. I'm a piece on out. They didn't find Jesus. They found an angel appeared to him and, and said, hey, uh, he's not here. He's gone. So why don't you go and tell the others? So the, the ladies go, they run to the disciples, the men, and the, the men are like, uh, whoa, what's going on? Some of them didn't believe. Some of them ran to the tomb and they found exactly what the ladies had said they would find. Later that day, Jesus appears to them, their risen Savior in bodily form, with their, still with the wounds on his body, shows himself to them. And on Sunday... Everything changed. But can you imagine being some of the disciples going through a weekend like that? Talk about a whirlwind. I think when you think about Friday, like they had devoted three years of their life. They leveraged their whole life to following Jesus. Jesus said, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And they believed him. They said, hey, uh, the, the person you, Daniel talked about in Daniel chapter 7, the, the king who is going to have an everlasting reign, he's going to have an everlasting kingdom, that's me. They believed him. And then they, they saw their, their Messiah, their rabbi, their leader hanging on a Roman cross. This was not how it was supposed to go. You're supposed to deal with the Romans. Now they're dealing with 
you? The question they probably were asking is, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? And many of us have been in those spots. Like something, something happened in our life that we didn't plan on. Something happened in our life that, that wasn't a part of our uh, preconceived idea of what our life was going to be like when we got to this age. And we find ourselves in a spot where we're like, God, what are you doing? What, what's going on? Like, how am I supposed to go on like this? Things didn't work out how we thought it would. We never thought we would be in this spot, and yet we find ourselves in this spot. The question I, they had to be asking on Friday was, God, what are you doing? And all of us, if we follow Jesus a little bit, we've probably asked that question too. God, what are you doing? And then Saturday, that's got to be the most brutal time. And we don't hear about it because what are they going to say? A day of anguish and sorrow. The, the, the energy of, of Friday and all that being like just hopped up on, uh, on just energy that, that subsided on Saturday. Where they just had to sit in the grief that they were experiencing. Silence. Sadness. A lot of us, we, bu- we busy ourselves up so that we don't have to deal with those kinds of things, don't we? The, the question they had to have been asking on Saturday was a follow-up to Friday. And it's not necessarily, God, what are you doing? They probably were still asking that question, but they started asking another question. What now? What now? I gave my whole life to following you. What am I supposed to do now? This is not how it was supposed to go. This is not where I thought I was going to be. Anytime we have questions about the future, we're asking, what what now? I don't see a path forward. But then Sunday came. They're asking the question, what now? And Sunday comes and they are now confronted with Jesus, His risen body, His risen self right before them. And the question that they had to ask and that all of us have to ask on this side of Sunday is how do I respond? How do I respond? Because if, if, if what He did was right, like he, He's like Babe Ruth calling His shot. He says, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise again on the third day. If that's exactly what happened, which it was because He's standing right before them, He gave boldness and courage to people who were afraid and now they were willing to die for what they knew to be true, then they had to listen to what He said. They knew that He was Lord at that point because He called His shot and He did it. And now everything else that He said was worth following. It's worth staking your whole life on. Let's, let's look at this text again. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. This is what Paul says to Timothy. He has saved us, God has saved us, and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. We need to stop right there. Some of us, we've been in church for a while. Some of us, uh, because of the way we grew up, we feel like we have to achieve to please that we have to do all these things to be able to acquire enough favor with God that we can be counted as righteous and worthy to be able to be in His presence or be able to get an attaboy every now and again. Uh, some of us have been striving for, for acceptance from maybe it's parents, maybe it's the people who you look up to in your life, maybe it's, maybe it's something, maybe you've just been striving to try and get, ple- to, to get favor from God Himself. And what we see right here is that he said he's saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Isn't that good news, y'all? Because what that means is that you can't earn it, you can't achieve it, and you can't do anything uh, that would make you uneligible to receive it. 
And that's such good news. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, as we talked about in the beginning, like we as human beings, we're not capable of escaping death. We just aren't. And that's the most foundational problem that we face as as beings. We just can't escape death. No matter what we do, no matter how good good, of, good we eat, no matter, how much, no matter how much we exercise, we ain't getting out of this thing alive. Right? Unless Jesus returns and he brings us up. But other than that, nope, we ain't getting out of this thing alive. Death plagues us all, but the good news is what what God has done is He has changed the status of mankind in a matter of a weekend. The most pressing problem, the biggest uh, the biggest barrier between us and God, He changed it in a weekend. This what didn't even need to be a full time job; it was just part time, just on the weekends. <laughs> he accomplished it. The job was done. He said it on Friday. It is finished because he knew what was going to happen on Sunday. He was going to rise from the grave. Y'all, this is so significant. It says that he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That means that because of Jesus, death is done. Because of Jesus, death is no more. Because of Jesus, death does not have a hold on you any longer. That through Jesus, you can live forever. He's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is what one of the, the church fathers from the second century said. He was Bishop of Sardis. Uh, his name is Melito. And this is what he said about this. When this one came from heaven to earth for the sake of the one who suffers and had clothed himself with that very one through the womb of a virgin and having come forth as a man, he accepted the sufferings of the sufferer through his body, which was capable of suffering. And he destroyed those human sufferings by his spirit, which was incapable of dying. He killed death, which had put men to death. For this one who was led away as a lamb and who was sacrificed as a sheep, by himself delivered us from servitude to the world as from the land of Egypt and released us from bondage to the devil as from the hand of Pharaoh and sealed our souls by his own spirit and the members of our bodies by his own blood. This is the one who became human and a virgin, who was hanged on the tree, who was buried in the earth, who was resurrected from among the dead, and who was raised, who raised mankind up out of the grave below to the heights of heaven. This is the lamb that was slain. This is the lamb that was silent. This is the one who was born of Mary, that beautiful ewe lamb. This is the one who was taken from the flock and was dragged to sacrifice and was killed in the evening and was buried at night. The one who was not broken while on the tree, who did not see disillusion while in the earth, who rose up from the dead and who raised up mankind from the grave below. See, this is so important. When, when the stone rolled away in Jesus' tomb and he left the tomb, understand, it wasn't just his own tomb that he was opening. When Jesus rolled away the stone to the tomb of his own tomb, he was also rolling away the tomb, the stone of your tomb too. That because he lives, he can now give you life. 
Because he has the keys of death and Haiti, like Taylor talked about. He has the death of death. He has the keys of death and Hades. And because of that, he has the keys to life. That he can offer that to any of us. No matter what we've done, because it's not according to our works. But it's according to his own purpose and grace. See, some of us, unfortunately, we've become too comfortable in our dysfunction. We've gotten too comfortable with sin. We've gotten too comfortable with death. Or maybe we've just tried really hard to numb ourselves to what is inevitable. And don't you see? Don't you see that Jesus did what he did so that you could have hope? Don't you see that it's not just about this like half-hearted commitment or half-hearted, yeah, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I'm excited about that. But in terms of a, a fully devoted following of his life in your life, that is what he calls us to. Don't you see that he knows you? It says, Paul said that he had planned this before time began in Christ Jesus. Y'all, God knows you so much more than you know you. He knows every little experience that you've had that has contributed to all of your issues that you face in life. He knows all of the stuff that you try to keep under wraps. If all of us had our headlines of our lives uh, put on the screen, we'd all be running away because we wouldn't want anyone to know about it. But the the cool thing is, is because of Jesus, don't you know that those headlines are simply a testimony of his goodness and his grace and his love for you? Because even though he knew all that, he still decided to love you. He still decided to go to the cross to give his life for you. Even though you sit in shame and guilt, wondering, okay, how can I change the past? Y'all, he's already done it. How can I change the present? Y'all, he's already done it. How can I change the future? He's already done it. Why? Because on the cross, he paid for your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. Don't you see that all the things that you've been searching for in your whole life, the the need to feel accepted, the need to be wanted, the need to be desired, the, the need to find and experience love, the need for someone to say, hey... This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This is what God has been doing all along. Because that's what he said to Jesus after he was baptized. But now through Jesus, if you're in Christ, he says that to you. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And he knows everything about you. He knows everything that you've done. That sometimes makes you run away from you. That sometimes makes it hard for you to be around you. And yet he decided... To make a way for you to experience life. Y'all, C.S. Lewis, he proposed this kind of argument, and I think it's right. He says, hey, when it comes to Jesus and how you see him, you got three options. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's a liar. Uh, He said he was going to suffer and die and then rise again. Uh, Either he was lying Or he was crazy enough to believe it even though it wasn't going to happen. Or he's Lord. Some people say, oh, Jesus is a really good moral teacher. Is he? If he didn't rise from the grave, is he a good moral teacher? Or did he just dupe thousands of people over the course of his life to believe that he was God in flesh? 
liar, lunatic, or Lord. Here's the thing. If he rose from the grave, he's Lord. He called a shot. He did it. Even death can't hold him back. And the interesting thing is uh, researchers have, uh, have done some studies in America, and since we're in America, that's kind of relevant to us. And they found that uh, Americans, two-thirds of Americans, in fact, believe that the resurrection actually happened. Two-thirds. My question is, do two-thirds of Americans follow Jesus? No. Two-thirds of Americans might be friendly with Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, go do your thing. But are we following him? Did we get in the game or are we just standing in the, in the, in the, in the bleachers just cheering him on? Are we, ah, I'm excited for you. Good job, Jesus. Way to go. But do I center my life around him? See, if, if he did rise from the grave, it changes absolutely everything. If he didn't, all of us, especially in this room, are without hope. Why? Because we've staked our lives on the one who said, not even death is going to hold me back from doing what God has called me to do. And because he did rise from the grave, he has the keys to life so that even when you die, you'll get to experience life. That death for us will merely be a comma to the rest of our story. See, how do we access this salvation? How do we access this holy calling that he's given us? How do we get life and immortality? How do we have death be abolished on our terms as well, for us, on our account? It's through what he says in first in second Timothy chapter two, just a little bit beyond what we just read verse 11. This is what Paul says. This saying is trustworthy for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Uh, Notice that first one in verse 11. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. See, the pathway to life is through a good death. It's true for how Jesus has done what he's done, accomplished on the cross. And in a weekend, that life was accomplished through a good death. We call it Good Friday for a reason. But that's the same call that he gives to you and I. When he had crowds following him, this is what Jesus said. He said, if any of you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. That's what you must do. And many of the people in the crowd walked away. Why? Because what he was essentially saying is if you want to follow after him, you must die to yourself. You must die and follow him. And he followed it up in some other passages with, hey, do you want to really give your whole life to the world so that you can lose your very soul? Do you want to try and gain everything that there is to gain in this life, on this earth, just so that you can sacrifice your very soul? Of course not. But when he said, hey, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, we we look at the cross and we're like, oh, that's pretty. That's a pretty good looking cross right there. But for the first century people... That was an instrument of death. It would be, it would be more apt to our day if, if we had a nice looking with LED backlit electric chair up there for us to get what Jesus was saying to them. 
If you want to follow after Jesus, you must deny yourself, pick up your electric chair, put some wheels on it if you have to, and roll around with that and follow me. What is he saying? It's the pathway to life begins with a good death. The pathway to following him begins with a good death. So that, think about it. We've been striving on our own, many of us, in our own ways, in our own effort, and the that person needs to die in order for us to experience true life. I, I can testify to this. The me I used to be needed to die, not just get remade, but die so that I could rise again. Because what I had become was nothing close to what God created me to be. This is good news, y'all. When the tomb opened, Christ opened the door to everlasting life and declared, you are invited. When the tomb opened, Christ opened the door to everlasting life and declared, hey, hey, you, yeah, you, you're invited. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what people said about you or thought about you. It doesn't matter what your reputation was like or is like. It doesn't matter what you were doing just a few hours ago. It doesn't matter what you're going to do in the rest of your life. He says you're invited to everlasting life. The question is, all of us before Jesus, many of you follow Jesus, and that's amazing. This is your story. But some of us don't. And here's the invitation. Here's the scenario. All of us without Jesus are sitting in a tomb. That's it. We're just dead. And he has rolled away the stone. But guess what? He says, you got to get out. Come and follow me. And I'll show you the path to life. That no matter what you go through, even though you go through it, even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil. Why? Because I'm with you. Now I'll eventually lead you to green pastures and quiet waters. Y'all following Jesus is not uh, easy. It's not going to make your life full of roses and sunshine. Some moments. But some of us find ourselves on Friday, we're just like, oh God, what are you doing? We, some of us find ourselves on Saturday, it's just silent and, and, and quiet and dark. And we're like, what now? But y'all, Sunday's coming. And he's, he's going to rise from the grave, and he, he did rise from the grave. And because of that, you and I have hope to not be overcome by the grave ourselves. John Chrysostom, I was going to say that real confidently and say, hey, I didn't, didn't, I butchered it. I butchered it. Y'all knew that. Uh, his name, fifth century church father. This is what he said about this. When Isaiah foresaw all this, he cried out, oh, Hades, which means death. Oh, Hades, oh, death. You've been angered by encountering him in the netherworld. Hades is angered because it is frustrated. It is angered because it has been mocked. It is angered because it has been destroyed. It is angered because it has been reduced to naught. It is angered because it is now captive. It sees the body and lo, it discovered God. It sees the earth and behold, it encountered heaven. It sees the visible and was overcome by the invisible. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Christ is risen and life is freed. Christ is risen and the tomb is emptied of the dead. For Christ being risen from the dead has become the leader and reviver of those who had fallen asleep. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. That's what God has done. He's made a way that any of us can come to him and receive life. Doesn't matter what our background's been. Doesn't matter what our story is. 
God loves a great comeback story. He loves a second chance. Some of us, we, we need a comeback story. We need a second chance. And the Lord is presenting that to us today. Because of what he's done, he's made a way for us that all of us experience life. Y'all, our universal problem was that we cannot escape death. But Christ has the ultimate answer. And the answer is himself. Himself. And so the, the apostles, they, they hear Jesus, they see Jesus. And then right before Jesus uh, ascends to the throne in heaven, he says to them this. You will now be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then after that, the apostles go out to the people and they start preaching the good news, the gospel of Jesus. They start telling them, hey, because of what you've done, Jesus died for you. And he is the Messiah. He's the promised one. You can have life through him. And the people were cut to the heart. And they said, Lord, what must we do? Peter, what must we do to be saved? And they were asking that same question that the disciples themselves had to ask on Sunday. And all of us have to ask on this side of Sunday. And that is, how do I respond? You believe that Jesus rose from the grave? How do you respond? You believe that Jesus is God in flesh? How do you respond? Merely just saying, okay, Jesus, we like you. I'd like to just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on, on, the, on the meal of my life, just a little bit, just to make it a little bit better. He's saying, hey, I'm the meal. I am your life. And so they asked, hey, how do we respond? What, what should we do to be saved? Peter replied in Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, hey, uh, any of you, each of you, you can come to him. John 3.16, it's a verse that many people know who aren't even familiar with church. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. There's a word in there. That is so significant that all of us should just cling to. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone, anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone. Anyone. That means there's no prerequisite. There's, that means that it's not some certain uh, framework you got to meet to. It doesn't mean that you got some background that you got to have. That doesn't mean you have to get to some certain point where, oh, I clean my life up. That's the issue. You can't. He's saying, you can come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. You've, you need rest from striving. It's not working. You need rest from trying to just escape death. You can't do it. You need rest. You need life. And he's saying, hey, I've got the keys. Come and take them. Come on out of that tomb and experience real life. So I, I don't know where each one of you are. I know many of you follow Jesus and, and this is your story. <clears throat> that he saved you and called you to a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he planned and did that in Christ Jesus before time began. That you know that he's abolished death. And has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's, that's your story. You know it. 
Your life has been changed by it. Amen. That's my story too. Y'all, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know anything. Well, well, Easter, I don't know. That's when we just go and hunt eggs and I get a couple extra presents. I don't know why we did it. Don't miss the significance of this day that Jesus looked at you and said, hey, you're worth it. You're worth it to give his life for you. And then to give you the keys to eternal life so that he can be with you forever. And that's good news for each one of us. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you're not repented and been baptized, and I'd encourage you, let's, let's have a conversation after service. He'll change your life. Some of you, this is an opportunity to just, just remind yourself, hey, you might be in a Saturday moment, a Saturday season where, where we're just, Lord, what now? It seems dark. It seems quiet. I don't know what's going on. You might be in a Saturday moment, but y'all, Sunday's coming. He's going to get you through it. It's difficult, I know. But he's going to see you all the way through to, to the very end forever to be with you. Um, so if, if that's you, I'd love to talk to you after service. But right now, uh, I want us to take up those communion cups that you may have grabbed on our way in. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand. We've got a, an usher who will be glad to bring that to you. No shame. But we're going to take communion. We're going to rewind. We've been on Sunday. We're going to rewind to Thursday. It was there where Jesus, as we said earlier, he had a meal with his disciples. And in that meal, they were celebrating Passover. And he redefined Passover to be about himself. That he was the Passover lamb. That because they were covered in his blood, they get to live. Just like in Egypt, but in a far better way. So on that night, he he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you have the top layer, I promise you it's edible. It doesn't look like it, but it is. We're going to go ahead and grab that. For those of you at home, just grab some crackers, some bread. And let's partake together. And then he came to the cup and he prayed to his father, asked him to bless it. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, remember me. And then he blessed it and he distributed the cup. So let's do that in remembrance of him together. Father, thank you for loving us and calling us to a holy calling. God, you saved us through Jesus, and we are grateful for that. We're grateful that even though some of us have been in a, on a Friday season, a Saturday season where it just feels like you've been distant, it feels like we don't know what the future holds, it feels like we're struggling to see the hope in our situations, God, I'm so grateful that in reality, Sunday came and you rose from the grave, Jesus. And I'm also grateful that on the other side of Friday and Saturday in our, in our walk with you, you, you show us hope. You call us to follow you through every moment of life. God, thank you for making a way that through Jesus, we can be called your beloved son, your beloved daughters, in whom you're well pleased. God, help us to cling to that. 
in a world that is full of chaos, in a world that is full of despair, help us to cling to you, Lord. May Easter not be lost on us. Not today, not any day, that we get to celebrate the resurrection every day because you are alive forevermore. We love you, Jesus. Please hear us as we sing in worship to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.